Jonas comes around with his lips stuck out most of the time trying to do what God wants him to do. And we'll talk about a lot of that as we get into tonight. And by the way, next Wednesday night, remember, next Wednesday we are not meeting here. We're going to meet at Thunder Basin High School, February 26th at 7 o'clock for kind of an FCA United, but all of youth groups are invited around town. So if you've got friends that go to other youth groups, let them know, let their youth pastor or the youth leader know, and that way they can meet us at Thunder Basin High School next Wednesday at 7 o'clock. So we'll start tonight on Jonah, and then next week we'll go to Thunder Basin High School, and then the week after that we'll be back here looking into the book of Jonah again, okay? But before, I want to, before we start tonight and I really get into the depth of what Jonah, the book of Jonah, is all about, let me give a couple quick thoughts. I got a question for you guys. You ready? It's a theological question. Tell me the difference between major prophets in the Old Testament and minor prophets. The book of major prophets and minor prophets. Does anybody know the difference? Deep theological stuff here. So there's major prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then there's minor prophets, Daniel, Amos, Jonah, Obadiah, all those other ones. What's the difference between those books? I went to school for three years to learn this. I hope you guys are very impressed when I tell you. The size of the book. That's it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's literally just the size of the book is what the difference is between a major and minor prophet. Tonight we are going to look at the book of Jonah. And we're going to start in chapter 1. But here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to turn to your table talk real quick first. And here's the first question I want to know. And what you guys know before we begin tonight on our series on Jonah. What do you already know about the story of Jonah. Turn your tables, have that discussion, and we'll turn back up in a minute. I got a couple things I want to share with you guys in regards to the book of Jonah, and then we're going to move on with a couple thoughts to kind of finish up the night. We'll go back to your tables in just a minute, because I'm going to let you guys read chapter one of Jonah tonight, because they're not real long, it's a real short book, and I'm going to have you guys read this at your table in just a few minutes. But what I want to do is just kind of give you a little bit of a Here's what Jonah is all about, okay? I'm going to give you just an overview if I can, and then we'll funnel back into chapter one tonight. So everybody knows that Jonah was the disobedient prophet, the pouty prophet, right? God tells him, he says, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to tell the Ninevites about me. And Jonah says, no, I don't want to. You guys will be reading about that tonight in chapter one. So Jonah, see, Jonah lived in Gath Heifer was where he was from, which is about three miles from where Jesus grew up in Nazareth. So it's way up north in Israel. And I love maps. Maps make a lot of sense to me. So you got Gath Heifer here, and God says, I want you to go from here, and I want you to go 500 miles to the east to Nineveh. Do you guys know what Nineveh is called today? Mosul, Iraq. Now think about this in that sense. Pretty crazy, huh? Think about you're a Christian, and God lays it on your heart to go to Mosul, to all the Muslims, and he wants you to go share the gospel with them. That's basically what is going on in this story. Nineveh, which we'll talk about in a little bit, I'll give you some more details, was a huge city, but God told him to go. So Jonah was supposed to go 500 miles to the east. Jonah says, nope, I'm out, and he goes down to Joppa, jumps a ship on his way to Tarshish, which in that time, Tarshish would have been the farthest point known to the Israelites on earth at that time. 2,500 miles west of where Jonah lived is where he was headed to before God snatched him up short, which we'll talk about tonight in just a little bit. Everybody, there's a lot of people that think that the book of Jonah is about Jonah and this fish. It's not. The fish is only, the fish is only mentioned, this large fish, four times. Nineveh is mentioned nine times. Jonah is mentioned 18 times. 
This book that we're about to go through is about God. God is mentioned 38 times in four chapters in this book. So when you look at the book of Jonah, it, a lot of people think Jonah and the whale. Well, we don't even know it's a whale. We'll get into that later on. A lot of people think about Jonah and the whale when they think about the book of Jonah, okay? Jonah is also mentioned in another part of the Old Testament. In 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, which even makes this, and I want to lay this in you guys' feet a little bit tonight. In 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, God prophesied, told Jonah, you go prophesy to Jeroboam II, and you're going to tell him that I want him to go have victory and expand Israel's territory back to what it needed to be, because Israel shrunk over the years. Jeroboam was an evil king. He was not a nice guy to begin with, but Jonah went, and he was basically the hero of that time, because the message that Jonah carried was to the king, and it was like, hey, you're going to have victory. God says, you go out, you take the spoils, you expand the territory. That's in 2 Kings 14.25. So Jonah, that's the only other place in the Old Testament that Jonah's mentioned that I'm aware of. So think about this. This makes it even more, it's a bigger conundrum if I can put it that way, because here's what Jonah does. When, jo when God tells Jonah something he wants to do, Jonah does it. Think about your own Christian walk now. When God tells Jonah something Jonah doesn't want to do, he doesn't do it. I don't know if that lands on you guys, but I want you guys to hang on to that thought. We're obedient to God when it's comfortable and convenient for us. But as soon as it's not comfortable and convenient or something we don't want to do, we disobey God and we turn back again. <clears throat> out, of all the, out of all the prophets in the Old Testament, Jonah was the only prophet that was sent to what the scripture would have said. It was a heathen nation. So Jonah was sent to the Ninevites who were... You guys, evil is an understatement. You look at ISIS, you look at all the evil stuff, the beheading and everything that is done in the world today, that's G-rated compared to Nineveh. Nineveh would actually take and put people on a spike and they would stack them up as they went and they killed people. They celebrated their victories and the death that they had over people. Nineveh was flat out dark and evil. And it was the biggest city around that area at this time. So when you look at Jonah was the only prophet in the Old Testament that was sent to a heathen nation. And he's the only prophet in the Old Testament that didn't do what God told him to do the first time. So what I want you guys to do now with those couple of thoughts, I want to give you guys an opportunity to sit still, read chapter one together at your table, and then we'll turn back up to the front of the room. I'm going to give you guys a lot of opportunity at your table tonight. I want you to read this, and then we'll come back to the front of the room and kind of work our way through chapter one on some things that I think we'll find very interesting out of this book. So go ahead and read. The first thing I want to cover is the very first point that I have in tonight's message is, obviously, Jonah disobeys God. Because God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, okay? And Jonah would have loved to have the chance to go to Nineveh. Because Jonah hated the Ninevites. Because the Ninevites were evil, mean, nasty people. So Jonah would have loved to go lay God's judgment and say, you guys are going to die, God's going to get you. That's what Jonah wanted to do. But that's not what God wanted him to do. God wanted him to go there and kind of basically share the gospel with them, if I can put it that way, so they may repent because God loved them dearly. Jonah, when Jonah, it says that Jonah went the other direction and tried to get away from God, God is omnipresent. 
which means God's everywhere and he can see everything. Jonah was smart enough to know that he wasn't going to get away from God. In that sense, in that phrase that they use in the book of Jonah, what that basically means is Jonah was going to leave the area in which God dwelt in the temple. So when Jonah left the presence of God and went the other direction, Jonah's smart enough to know that God's all-knowing and all-seeing and omnipresent, om, you know, omniscient, all this stuff. So what he was doing basically, that statement basically means that Jonah was leaving the area in which the temple was at where God dwelled at that time, okay? When he chose to go the other direction and directly be disobedient to God, we got to give Jonah a bit of a break here if I can put it that way. And I know I tell you guys this often, and I think this is turning out to be a very bad example that I give, but think about the nastiest person in your school, or even the nastiest person you know, or the group of people. There's a group of kids, there's a clique at school that's just evil as dirt, and they're just mean, and the last thing you want to do is go tell them about God. Go carry your Bible and tell them that God loves them, Jesus died for them, John 3, 16. That's basically what God is asking Jonah to do with the Ninevites is to go to someone who he hates, who he really believed they should be destroyed. So when you see that, that's what that's all about. And we talked about Nineveh being the largest city at that time, but you got to understand, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's the same thing in this sense that God wanted the Ninevites to have an opportunity to repent. But there's a couple of things that I think, I'm a, I'm a guy, I'm a big-time big believer in attitude, okay? So if you think about Jonah's attitude in this, the very first thing we see is Jonah had a bad attitude towards God's will. His bad attitude is a reflection of him thinking that God was sending him on an impossible task, so think about your life and think about your Christian walk and what God is asking you to do and not to do. Stay away from sin. Talk to this person about God, whatever that is. Jonah just had a really bad attitude towards God's will. Do you? Think about God's will in your life. Are you open to it? Or let me look at, look at me. Are you living your life this way? You all have dreams and visions and things that you want to accomplish in high school and out of high school. But are you living your life with your palm open, up, where God comes along and he says, I want, Dan, I want you to do this. Or are you living your life this way, going, no, Lord, my life is mine and I'm not going to do or go the direction that you've called me to go. The more obedient you are now to God and the more you know his voice, the easier it will be obedient when you're out of high school and you're in college and you're running your own life, if you will, and God speaks to your heart, you're going to recognize his voice better at that time. And we got to remember, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came, the book of Luke tells us, Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. And the Ninevites were lost. Jonah had a bad attitude towards God's word. And I want you guys to hang on to this. Because I read something as I was studying, it scared me to death, to be honest with you. Jonah had a bad attitude towards God's word. When the word of God came to Jonah, what did he do? He made a run for it, didn't he? He went the opposite direction. And, and again, we can, we can see why he did that. But think about scripture now for a second. I'm going to give you guys a couple verses that, that are in your notes that you can hang on to and go read later. Jonah knew, what is the definition of sin? Going against the known will of God. Think about that. Jonah knew the known will of God. He knew that, and he went against it. So James 4.17 would say this, If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. We've got to listen and obey. 
That word listen has a connotation to it that it's to hear and to do. So we see the scripture that says this. Jesus, Jesus says in John 10, 27, he says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. There's two things there. My sheep, Christians, listen to my voice. Do you recognize his voice? Are you listening to him? Because if you're listening to him, you will obey him, which means they follow me. So that's John 10, 27. Disobedience, you guys look at me. Disobedience as a Christian is not an option. God does not give us the option to be disobedient. He says this in Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? See, this idea of hanging on to your faith and never losing your faith and once saved, always saved, I believe in eternal security as long as you're following the Lord. If you're not following God, eternal security goes out the windows. There, there goes out the window. There are conditions to being a Christian. He says, follow me. If you're my friend, you, if you're going to be my disciple, you, you do what I say. You follow my commandments. <clears throat> Jonah simply did this, you guys. He lost sight. And I want you to hear this right. He lost sight that it was a privilege to hear God's voice and to do what he says. Jonah just simply lost sight of that fact. And here's the other thing. When you're disobedient to God, watch this. Think about this for a second. When you're disobedient to God, your circumstances may seem like it's going okay for you. Because Jonah was doing good. See, Jonah made a run for it. All the circumstances surrounding Jonah, he had to think, I've got it going on. Jonah made a run for it from, from Gath Heifer down to Joppa. So he made it from there to there. He had enough money to catch a boat. The boat was there at the right time. He caught the boat, had enough money to get a ticket, got on the boat, sailed off to sea. Jonah thought, I'm in. This being disobedient to God thing, I don't want to do this. This is working out pretty good. Scripture says sin is, sin is fun for a moment, the book of Hebrews says. Sin is fun for a time. But what God was doing with Jonah was setting him up for a very great fall. And at times when we, when we go against God, I want you guys to recognize this. These are road signs that I want you to see in your life. When you're being disobedient to God, you will think everything's okay. You're going to think for, you're going to get a false sense of security because if I'm trying to be a Christian and I'm trying to be a Christian and I'm trying to be a Christian and I finally go, I'm sick of trying and I go this way, it's going to be easy. You're not going to be pushing. You're not going to be pedaling into the wind any longer. Things are going to be simple for a time. But then you're going to have that great storm like Jonah did. Here's another thing I want you guys to catch. Jonah had a bad attitude towards his enemies. In today's world as an adult, it's hard to love and it's easy to hate. Jonah had a really, really, really bad attitude towards his enemies. He believed it would be better for Nineveh to be destroyed than to have an opportunity to be redeemed and attack Israel again down the road. Because Jesus says this, Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies. Matthew 5, 43 and 44 says this, you have heard it said, love your, neighbor as you, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's basically what God was telling Jonah. And in Luke 6, 27 and 28, it says this, but to you who are listening, I say, remember, my sheep know my voice, they listen to me and they follow me. For those of you that are listening in Luke, it says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, 
bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. Are you? It's what God says we're supposed to do. We know his voice. Are we going to follow him? Jonah chose not to follow this for the moment. Something caught my attention. It says, Jonah made a run. I said, Jonah made a run for it. He went from Joppa, or from Gath Heifer, where he lived, watch this now, down to Joppa. Whenever you're being disobedient to God, I want you to always remember you're going to be going down, not up. It's a small picture on the map. Gath Heifer's up here to the north. Jonah went down when he was disobedient to God. When you're going to be disobedient to God, you will go down. The second point I got is this. Jonah disappeared in the boat. This section of scripture shows that the prophet was not in fellowship any longer with God. Jonah's decision to run from God had a negative impact on him and on the people on the ship. Your disobedience, watch, 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 watch. Your disobedience or your sin will always impact those around you. Well, who's it hurting? I'm not hurting anyone. Your sin is always going to spill over onto other people in your life. And that's what you see in this boat with Jonah. When he disappears in the boat, he catches a ticket, he goes in the boat, and he disappears. That's what happened with him, is that decision caused those sailors to experience a huge storm from God. And those sailors didn't know what to do. They were casting stuff overboard. They were praying to their own gods. They finally got sick and tired, and they went and got Jonah, who was down in the boat sleeping, which I'll talk about in a minute. But they went and they got Jonah. But the, the, the sailors did nothing wrong other than Jonah got on their boat. And Jonah was supposed to be a Christian. He's supposed to be a believer. You would think with Jonah on the boat, things would be better, right? But there's a couple of things that Jonah, that, that Jonah's decision cost Jonah something. And the first thing is this. Man, I want you guys to get this. Remember the word of the Lord came to Jonah and he made a run for it? When he made a run for it, guess what he lost? The voice of God. He lost God's voice. You know how we know that? Because the next time Jonah experiences God, it's in the storm. It's the wind and the waves. It's like God takes this big old thing and he spins it up like you see the superheroes and he hucked it down into the ocean and it just exploded and the sea came to life. God was no longer speaking to Jonah with his voice. He was using nature to get to him, if I will. And I want you guys to get this. Watch. I'm a Christian. And I can hear God's voice, okay? God says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. God never moves. But watch this. I'm this is God and I'm being disobedient to him. And I go over here. If Will's talking to me at that back table and I distance myself from him, is it easier or harder to hear his voice? It's harder, isn't it? I'm disobedient again. And now I'm over here. And I'm disobedient again. And I'm over here. God never moved. I did. And the farther I get away from God in my disobedience, the quieter his voice is going to become. And eventually, you can't hear him. If you're in sin and you can still hear God's voice, that's a good thing. But if you're in sin long enough, you will, God's voice will quiet and you will miss his voice along the way. Jonah lost God's voice. He started hearing about God through the storms. The second thing he lost was he lost his spiritual energy. 
when you're, when you're not walking with God and you lose your spiritual en- energy, you get sleepy spiritually. Because Jonah would think about this. This storm was raging. The sailors, the guys who lived on the ocean were terrified. Yet where was Jonah? He was in the bottom of the boat having a nap. He was sleepy spiritually. As you sit in your seat tonight, would you consider yourself to be sleepy spiritually? Because when we disobey God, we will become numb spiritually. And that is that God allows that to happen so that sense of not having God around will drive us back to him is what that's all about. The third thing is this, Jonah lost his desire to pray. Do you have a desire to pray? I didn't ask you if you did, because <laughs> a lot of people don't. Do you have a desire to pray? See, the, pagans, the pagan sailors on the boat, they were praying to their gods. They were praying like crazy to their false gods, little g. And nothing was happening. Nothing was changing. So they went down to the bottom of the boat, and they got Jonah. And they cast lots. And they're like, we want to know what's going on, because this isn't natural. The pagan sailors recognized something was supernatural here. So they went down and they got Jonah. They said, Jonah, wake up. Pray to your God. See if he'll do something about this. And nothing happened. They they, they got lots. It's kind of like rolling dice or flipping a coin back in those days. They they did. They, They drew lots and they found out that Jonah was the cause of it. And they asked Jonah this. They said, Jonah, who are you? What do you do? Where do you come from? Why is this going on? And Jonah answered that I am a Hebrew. My God is the God of the earth of who, who made the, the sea and the land. That's who God was for him. So he made the sea and the land. But when you look at those pagans, they were praying like crazy. They had to wake Jonah up because Jonah had no desire to pray. Because see, Jonah had distanced himself from the things of God on purpose in his own behalf. And the fourth thing is Jonah ruined his testimony. Because see, when Jonah said, I am a Hebrew... I serve the God who made the, the, the sea and the land. What do you think these guys thought? They already knew he was running from God because he told them that he was running from God. When you're in the halls of your high schools and you're living your life, does it look like you're serving God or you're running from him? Are you ruining your testimony? We talked about this when we talked about our identity. Don't ruin your testimony. That's exactly what Jonah did because when we're disobedient to God and we either run the other direction or we fall into sin, it hurts our testimony. And then when we go to witness to someone, they're not listening. Now these sailors, they listened. They actually feared God more than Jonah did. And this is the part where they, when they drew lots and, they, and this always strikes me how this worked out and it's kind of a side note. What did they do with Jonah? Jonah says, it's my fault. They said, what, what should we do? Jonah says, it's on me. Throw me into the ocean. Now, sailors went, they respected life enough, so they tried digging in, and they tried rowing harder, but the storm wouldn't let go away, and it wouldn't let them go. So they finally asked God of heaven, the one true living God, the pagans did. They prayed to him and said, please don't hold us accountable for taking this man's life. And they picked Jonah up, and they threw him overboard. Why didn't Jonah just jump? If Jonah knew it was on him, why did he make those guys be accountable for taking Jonah's life? I don't know the answer to that. It's just some of the stuff that stands out to me when you look at this scripture. But when we're, ode- when we're disobedient, it will affect our testimony. The last thing is, point number three is this. Jonah is disciplined for his disobedience. Charles Spurgeon, an old theologian and preacher way back in the day, says God will never allow his children to sin successfully. 
God will never allow his children to sin successfully. God will always discipline you. But I want you guys, I know I've nagged you about this a thousand times and I've said it and I'll say it again. You have to remember when God disciplines you, it's to draw you near. It is not to push you away. You see this in the book of Jonah. He was disciplining Jonah to draw him near is what he was doing. And when he's doing this, that's, what, that's how God behaves. In Hebrews 12, 6, it says this, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. And when Jonah got tossed overboard, he was being disciplined for his sin, disciplined for his disobedience. And in the midst of disciplining in Jonah, here's what he did. And I'll turn it back to your tables in just a second. I want you guys to catch this. Jonah makes a run for it, gets on the boat, takes a nap, wakes up. The sailors freaking out, don't know what to do. Picked him up, threw him into the sea. And as soon as they threw him into the sea, it was calm. Now be, be Jonah for a minute. Just be Jonah. You don't know what the book of Jonah says. You don't know the end of the story. I've been to sea when there's been eight to 12 foot swells and it is a mess and you're up and down and the boat's going and you can't, you can't even hardly stand up. And these sailors take Jonah and they pick him up and they toss him into the sea. Be the sailors first. What do you think, what they, what do you think they thought about the God of heaven? The God who created the sea and the land. As soon as Jonah hit the water, the sea calmed. The boat's drifting off, and Jonah's in the water. He didn't know the end of the story. But this strikes me as amazing. It says, then God provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. Even in the midst of what Jonah was doing, and as disobedient as he was, remember, God, he still couldn't hear God's voice. God's using nature to speak to Jonah. But God provided a great fish that swallowed Jonah. If that great fish hadn't swallowed Jonah, what would have happened to him? He would have drowned, wouldn't he? God will provide what you need when you need it, even if we don't recognize it and might not want it. Now, Jonah got swallowed by a great fish, and he's inside this fish. I don't know what it had to look like, but I've been in underground mines before, and when you shut your headlamp off, you've got to be dead for it to be that dark. And just think about what Jonah had to be thinking at this time. But I want you guys to catch that, that God provided. And you'll see this throughout this story as we go through this the next couple of weeks, how God provides what Jonah needs and what the Ninevites need when they need it. Turn back to your tables, answer a couple questions, and then we'll come back and close here in just a minute. Okay, everybody, if I can have your attention back to the front of the room, I'm going to wrap this thing up. I forgot to mention this to you guys real quick. I want to, I want to talk about the fish. Because everybody's like, well, is the story of Jonah really real? Come on, the guy, the dude gets swallowed by a fish and he lives for three days and then the fish, the fish pukes him out on the, on the ground. Really? This is not an allegory. It's not a fable. This is a true story. You know how I know that? Because Jesus Christ himself in Matthew 12, 10 or 12, 40 says this, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the earth. 
And so that's how I know the book of Jonah is true, because Jesus himself, the Son of God, our Savior, referred to the book of Jonah and this experience with the great fish. This fish may have been a sperm whale. It may have been some sort of a shark, some big dogfish. Everybody will say it this way. It's not scientifically possible for that to happen. I agree. It is not scientifically possible but it's supernaturally possible. Is it scientifically possible for the Red Sea to split? Where the Israelites can cross on dry ground? Well, that was just the sea of reeds. It was real shallow. Okay, then how is it that it says the sea closed up and all the Egyptians drowned? Is it possible for the Jordan River to split all the way back up to the town of Adam, it says, and the Israelites cross on dry ground? When the Jordan River was at flood stage, is it scientifically possible for someone to be raised from the dead? See, I have no trouble with the book of Jonah and the great fish because I believe God can do whatever God wants to do. He's, he's creator God. So when, you talk, when people talk to you about this, well, what kind of fish was it? I don't care what kind of fish it was. I don't have any idea what kind of fish it was. All I know is I know God, and he's the one that, that provided the great fish to swallow Jonah so Jonah wouldn't drown in the ocean. Jonah spent three days in the belly of that fish, and it spit him out on the ground. And we're going to talk about that the next time we get together. One of the greatest prayers in the Bible is the prayer that Jonah prays inside that fish for three days and three nights. I want to give you guys one other thing, too, just a side note real quick. When it says that Jesus says in three days and three nights, I will be like Jonah in the belly of the great fish, three days and three nights, I will be in the, in the earth, right? Now think about this. How many nights, this is a side note, this is for free. How many nights, what day did Jesus die on? Good Friday, yes? On a Friday. So Friday night, Saturday night, what day was he raised on? Monday. Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Now think about it. I will be three days and three nights, Jesus says in Matthew 12, 40. Really? How is it three days and three nights then if it's Friday, Saturday night and he was raised from the dead on Sunday? When you read your Bible, you will come up with questions like this. Well, isn't that a contradiction? That's what somebody who is against the Bible will say. Is that, isn't that a contradiction? No, it's not. Because if you go back into context and you go back into culture, in that time, a Jew would use it as a unit. A morning and a night were units of that day. So basically, Sunday would have been considered to that culture, Sunday morning and Sunday night. You understand? So that's why Jesus says, I will be three days and three nights. So it's not a contradiction. It's cultural. And when you go back, that's how the Jews would describe a day. It was a unit. It's like if I spent Friday night and Saturday night at the church and I left Sunday morning, the Jews would say I was here Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. You understand? That's why you've got to read your Bible, and that's why you have to study the context in which things are written. Now, in closing, what do we learn about this? We're going to leave this story with Jonah inside this fish in the belly. We're going to leave it there this week, and we'll pick up the rest of the story in chapter 2 next time we get together. So what can we learn from this? Here's what I've got down at the bottom of your page. Here's what we can learn from this story, chapter 1. If you decide to run away, run the other way, God will not stop it will stop at nothing to get you back to his side. Remember the story of Jesus when he leaves the 99 and he goes after the one sheep? He'll look for you and he will find you and he will do everything he can to, to woo you back, to draw you back to him. We ought to rethink this idea of how we follow God's commandments. Are you willing to follow God's commandment? We are his sheep. 
We listen to his voice. We know his voice. We listen to him. Do you follow him? Are you willing to follow God's commandments? Jonah was not. We'll talk about that later on. We can be assured that if God has called us on a mission to do the work, he will be there every step of the way with us. He will not leave you high and dry. In other words, this, watch me. Look at me, young people. Look at me. If God calls you to something, God will help you achieve it. God will not call you to something to set you up to fail. And the last thing is this. Disobedience will be costly. When you're disobedient to God, it will cost you. And it will cost others around you as well. So be as obedient as you can. And you guys have heard me talk about this before. I want to be like the disciples when Jesus was walking down the beach in Matthew 4.19. When Jesus is walking down the beach and he sees Peter and Andrew in their boat. And they're, they're tending their nets and they're getting ready to go fishing. And Jesus says to them, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the Bible says they immediately got out of the boat and followed him. I want to be a Christian who is willing to be immediately obedient to the things of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you're good. Grateful, Lord, we are for your word and for the truth of this scripture. This is such a power-packed, small book in your Bible. And it's got so much truth in it. I pray tonight that we realize that disobedience is costly. When we look at Jonah's life and how he ran from you, how he lost the sound of your voice because of the distance that he tried to put between the two of you, but you were always there. Your eye was always on him and you were always at work drawing him back to you, disciplining him to draw him back because you love him and you love the Ninevites. This is such a powerful story, Lord. May these things rest on us and help us to understand the importance of obedience. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.